job. The Lord be with you. You may be seated. So wonderful to be with you. Um, my machine just turned off. You know, um, this was wonderful this morning, singing together. I, uh, my name is Ed Gunger. I used to live here. <laughs> and um, it was a part of this wonderful community for a long, long time. And um, Paul, come up here and help me. What the heck? Oh, no, I, f- I figured it out, I think. Okay, all right. So, so I, I used to live here, and... Um, uh, then, um, in co- communicating with uh, Father Mark, Pastor Mark, uh, last year, we were talking about somebody stepping in as a permanent rector to this community, or as a rector to this community, we'd like to talk him into, anyway, um, he's, a, he's a transitional rector at this point, but uh, uh, inviting him into that experience, and I told him when he came, I said, listen, uh, I'm going to make myself scarce after you step in, and uh, um, which I think some, will, some of you who d- actually did know me um, uh, may have felt like I have forsaken thee. <laughs> but truly, I have not forsaken thee. <laughs> I mean, honestly, uh, we talk at least by Zoom calls or some way communicate at least uh, once a week talking about uh, what's going on in this context and trying to provide uh, prayerful uh, encouragement and, and, and um, counsel to that end and are so proud of what you're doing here. Uh, the real reason I felt like I needed to make myself scarce is a moment in my own life when I, <laughs> I remember driving one of my kids to college and, uh, you know, making a pretty big deal out of it. You know, it was kind of emotional. Here's your child going off to college. And then the next weekend, they showed up back at our door. <laughs> I remember thinking, what's going on? You know, it kind of reset. And I thought, you know, you have to have some space particularly when you're talking about new leadership and a new flow. So my making myself scarce has nothing to do with my heart or Gail's heart. It has everything to do with wanting to give a completely open space for you to journey well with new leadership, new kind of uh, in, uh, input of uh, life, and truly that has happened. So we applaud you, and uh, we love that. You know, one of the things that stinks about getting mature, I'll call it, is that um, I remember when I was in my 20s, the Spirit speaking to me from a text in John, where John the Baptist, is, it, the disciples come to John and they say to him, um, talking about uh, Jesus' ministry and saying that his ministry had taken off and John's ministry was shrinking. And, uh, you know, attendance is down, offerings are low. And, uh, and they say to John, you know, that guy you got started in the ministry, that Jesus guy, Everybody's going to him. And, and John goes, no one has anyone but what the Father gives him. And then John said this, he must increase and I must decrease. And I remember the Spirit, I was just reading that casually, but I felt like the Spirit said to me, you only want to increase. And it takes faith to increase in influence and increase in your activity in people's lives. But, but there will be times of increase and there'll be times of decrease. And you'll see that in the people that come into the community. There'll be people that want to come and then after a while they'll leave. And, one of the, and if you've ever known any pastor very closely, you know one of the hardest things in the world is when people leave because you feel personal about it. But it isn't personal. Just sometimes, well, sometimes it is. 
Some of you sheep suck. <laughs> but most times it isn't. I mean, people are in God's hands. They come and go. And, and, and most of us only want to increase in influence. We don't want to decrease. I felt the Spirit said to me, that's going to happen with your children. I mean, when they were eight, my children were perfect. They thought I hung the moon. They had no opinion but what I gave them. And then one day they began to think, bad deal. And so my influence decreased, and it was hard to do. Some of you don't know how to parent your adult children because you don't know this truth. You've never decreased. And it's true as you get older. I remember looking at the Sharps and us, you know, we're hitting and just donning our 50s, or donning, coming to the end of our 50s, donning our 60s, and looking at each other and saying, you know, we can't, we can't do this by ourselves. There has to be new and that means us being less. And I cannot tell you how difficult that is. I remember the Spirit saying to me, you only want faith to increase, but it also takes faith to decrease. In fact, I felt like he said it takes more faith to decrease than to increase. So, if you feel abandoned, don't confuse me with someone who cares. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> I'm not abandoning you. Nobody's abandoning you. We love you and are for you. Amen. <laughs> All right, uh, today's uh, gospel reading simply talks about this guy who was demon-possessed. Whatever that means, it means he was under influence, influence that wasn't good. And part of the challenge of our Christian experience is to get under the right influence. And so I wanted to talk to you about being under the influence of the Spirit instead of a wrong spirit. And that takes us to Galatians 5. This is where Paul writes, so I say, live by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of a lower nature or sinful nature. It doesn't mean sinful doesn't carry all kinds of icky baggage. It just means an alienating nature where you just try to do everything yourself. You push away from God, push away from others. And he said, don't live by that kind of impulse in your life or those impulses in your life. And then in verse 22, he opens up what's going on here. Man, my thing keeps turning off. What is that? It's the devil. That is weird. Okay, so, so here he says here, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, sticking with people, gentleness, and self-control. Who among us wouldn't love for more of this stuff to flourish in us? Love, right, joy, peace, etc. This isn't being presented to us by Paul as a list of to-dos. Nor is it being presented as some kind of goals that we should attain. He's actually saying this is the fruit of hanging with the Spirit. This is the result of connecting with God. There's no evidence that a tree, a fruit-bearing tree, tries to concentrate on producing fruit. The fact is if it's healthy and it's growing and it's connected to the earth, it will produce fruit, right? Um, according to Paul, spiritual fruit is not a focus. It is a fruit of the presence of the Spirit in our lives. It's the result of a participation in the Holy Spirit. I love how Peter says it. He says something close to this. This is 2 Peter 1. He says, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us. I love that he's calling us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that by these promises, you may what? 
participate in the divine nature. Participate in the divine nature. And that causes us to escape other kinds of corruptions, other kinds of pulls, other kinds of influences. This participation is what we're after when it comes to our faith. It's not, we're not after some kind of personal performance. We're not, not after some kind of spiritual eagle scout badge from God because we're really good at what we do and really, really you're just good. <laughs> I mean, if Christianity is about being good, I, I, I am the last person to stand up here, right? But Christianity is not about us doing, it's about us doing, about God doing in us. I love that text in Romans 11. You remember it. Who has ever given to God that God should react and repay him, right? For from him, where? From him and what? Through him and to him are all things. From him, through him, back to him. It's kind of a cycle that starts from God, through God, back to God. I can't tell you how long I used to think that Christianity was from me, through me. To God. And then if I would, I used to come to the altar saying, I just got to get it better so that things are better so that I'm really doing this right. Not understanding that Christianity was never centered in me. It's centered in a God who's calling us. And that's why he says, to him be glory forever. Because it's from him, through him, and to him. Therefore, Paul says, I urge you guys, in view of God's mercy, to just simply offer yourselves, offer your bodies as sacrifices, holy and pleasing God. This is your spiritual act of worship, not performing, but allowing God to perform in you. Faith is less about us than it is about him, but we must present ourselves to to him. An engagement with the Spirit <laughs> oh, is so much different than an engagement with just principles of truth. Or, uh, of course, there are principles and there are truths that are jacked up in the Scriptures, and the Scriptures give us revelation of who the Holy Spirit is. So I'm not saying it's avoid, devoid of that. But the encounter itself with the Holy Spirit that this fruit emerges from is not necessarily governed by reason. It's just not clear cognitive thought. That's not what it is. It's an interaction with the spirit or the fruit of that kind of moment. It impacts much more than our minds. We are, as James K. Smith is so fond of saying, more than brains on a stick. Where God is just interested in getting you to think in a certain way, right? But what we are, we are... We, we kind of carry, we're these emotive kind of beings and we're emotional kinds of beings and physical kinds of beings and we carry knowings of various kinds, not just the rationalistic kind that's dominated our Western culture. There are more, more than that. We have knowings that are deeper and are more nuanced uh, than just truths and principles. I mean, just think about the times that you've walked into a room or into somebody's home and you felt something was off. And you sort of query a little bit and you find out that there was just a big argument that had been had. And somehow it was hanging in the air. And you knew it. How did you know it? It wasn't just cognitive. It wasn't just rational. There was some other way that you knew 
That's the kind of beings that we are. Or maybe you were in a place of serenity or peace and you felt, you felt something was on, that the vibe was good. How do you know that? How do you feel that? You're, you're a more than a rational being. You're, you're, you have other kinds of knowings. Or think about the times you were in a place where you felt unsafe and your spidey senses go off, right? <laughs> See, we have knowings that are not just cognitive intellections. Because we are more than brains on a stick. We experience a kind of affective, affective form of intuitive and emotional knowing. Um, To be affected is to be influenced or to be determined by something or someone else on a number of different levels. Not just in the mind, not just in thought. This is especially true when we have an encounter with the Spirit. (laughs) Certainly the the rational or reasonable or calculative aspects of our being are impacted. But so are these non-rational places. Our passions, our emotions, our intuitions, our drives, our essence are impacted by the Spirit. In that moment, there's an, an evoking, an awakening, of things that uniquely come from the Spirit. And as a result, there's joy and there's peace and there's kindness and there's goodness. See, all these things start to appear. This is a knowing of a different kind. It carries its own kind of epistemic category, right? Uh, Here the Spirit engages with our full humanity, not just our minds. And he infuses us with divine life. (laughs) Slap your mama sweet. Here's a sample of this kind of experience reported by Rudolf Otto in his book, The Idea of the Holy. Quote, I remember the night and almost the very spot on the hilltop where my soul opened out, as it were, into the infinite. And there was a rushing together of two worlds, the inner and the outer. It was a deep calling unto deep. The deep that my own struggle had opened up within being answered by the unfathomable deep Without reaching beyond the stars, I stood alone with him who made me and all the beauty of the world. The perfect stillness of the night was thrilled by a more solemn silence. The darkness held a presence that was all the more felt because it was not seen. I could not any more have doubted that he was there than that I was indeed. I felt myself to be, if possible, the less real of the two, unquote. See, when I read this, many of you in this room, it's like you know that space. Why? Because you've encountered the holy. If you don't know that space, oh, you've got something to look forward to. See, times like these for the converted become a lived certainty There are places where we have been affected by the Holy Spirit. Those who step into a moment like this don't need explanations, don't need rational conceptions. Someone who carries a lived certainty from from a divine encounter does not need to eliminate all the contradictions and all the ambiguities that sit pregnant in that moment. Which pure, systematic, enlightenment rationale relentlessly pursues. I need to know what's going on. There's something in us that doesn't care what's going on. Rationally, we just care that we have experienced him. The realization we're satisfied with, 
God has shown up. <laughs> and all is well with our soul. The revivalist Jonathan Winters from the 18th century speaks of this. He says, quote, The conceptions which the saints have of the loveliness of God and that kind of delight which they experience in it are quite peculiar and entirely different from anything which a natural man can possess or of which he can form any proper notion. End quote. <laughs> this is what I love about being a renewalist, a Pentecostal, a charismatic. <laughs> we don't need proper notions. We just need more ghost stories. <laughs> Yeah, saying that, that there is such a thing as the fruit of the Spirit is to assert that, that there's something above and beyond our rational nature, that there's something larger, something higher, something ultimate, which cannot be found in mere intellectual impulses or intellectual pursuits. A move of the Spirit is rooted in, in a space in the human heart where one must suspend rational judgment while relying on a more intuitive grasp of knowledge, one free from rational dispositions and intellectualizing. When we use phrases like, seek God, or we say, Let, let's ask that God will pour out His Spirit upon us. We were talking about a moment that is not primarily a rational event. That's why we sing sometimes songs over and over and over. Just to make your mind just freak out and shut up. But when we hit those spaces, family, this is something that shapes us. It's something that transforms us. In our text, Paul iterates what that shaping and what that transformation looks like. He, he, we start exhibiting stuff as a result of it. There's fruit. We start exhibiting more love. Joy erupts out of us. Peace wins the day in us. Patience rules us instead of anger. We become disposed to showing kindness. Our motives turn good. We're faithful, which means we're people who are in no matter what is going on, no matter how unreasonable it seems. It seems We are in. We're like holy fools full of commitment. We enter into situations with gentleness, and though it doesn't emerge from within us by effort, we begin to naturally exhibit more self-control. This is all a result of the Spirit. How cool is that? Again, this fruit list is not a list of goals. It's not a list of to-dos. It, 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 for the believer, it is Paul saying, if you have had an encounter with the Spirit, this is the kind of stuff that will appear. You say, well, I don't have much of that going on in my life. Okay, how many encounters are you having? How many times do you push in and just open your heart? This is one of the reasons, if not the central reason, why we pray, why we gather to worship, why we open to one another, is we're looking for those encounters with the divine. And, and he's, these, this list we have of Love, joy, peace, etc. It's kind of a symptoms list. Just like if you went to the doctor, say if you have the flu, you should have these symptoms. Runny nose, congestion, fatigue. 
right? If you have had an encounter with the holy, these are your symptoms. Love, joy, peace, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control, gentleness. Now, with just a few minutes we have left, I just want to focus on one of these. Joy. I want to focus on joy. Nehemiah 8.10 says, this is Nehemiah talking, this day is sacred to the Lord. Don't grieve. For the joy of the Lord is your what? Strength. Think about that. For the joy of the Lord, the stuff that's a fruit of encounters with the holy. When you experience joy, it gives you strength. Strength is ability. Strength is energy. It's the I can do this juice. It's a kind of energy that helps us engage in virtuous acts. Joy gives that. When you think of joy, (laughs) what do you think? I mean, most people think of just being happy. I was watching uh, (laughs) the Ellis Ellen uh, DeGeneres, I can say it, Game of Games show the other night. (laughs) If you've ever seen it, but holy cow, when a when a contestant was called, they had a moment. They were freaking out, Japanese. You think it was a revival? They had a happy fit. That's what most people think of when they think of joy. Some kind of something happens. The word "happen" comes from the Greek word "hap," which means something experienced, right? And so they 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 def, they, they have a hap fit. Right? Happy fit. The dictionary defines joy as the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying of keen pleasure or elation. That's the way our culture generally thinks of joy. We tend to think of it as a state of mind or a feeling that's primarily caused by external circumstances um, of goods, you know, like maybe more money, power, beauty, success. Hence, We only can have joy if we have more money than we currently have. We can only have joy when when we get more likes on our social media. Or if we're just a few pounds thinner than we are. Or if we have more stuff than we currently have. Or if we garner more influence and success than we currently have. Or we somehow have more control over the events of our lives than we currently have. So when we say the fruit of the Spirit is joy, we go, well, where is it? Where's the control? Where's the change? Where's the stuff that'll make me happy? And because we think this way, we are painfully aware of what we don't have. And we have more ache and dread than we have joy. The joy, though, that's described in sacred text, though it has happiness and celebration in it, no question, at times, it goes much deeper than that. And it can be present when there's heartache. The joy of the Lord that becomes your strength is a joy that can get you through the worst of times, not just the best of times, right? Listen to this, this, these words from a letter found by archaeologists of a martyr during, who died in the first century. Listen to it, quote, In a dark hole I have found cheerfulness. This is before he was killed. In a place of bitterness and death, I have found rest. While others weep, I have found laughter. Where others fear, I have found strength. Who would believe that in a state of misery, I have had great pleasure? That in a lonely corner, I have had glorious company and in the hardest of bonds, perfect repose. All those things Jesus has granted me. He is with me, comforts me, and fills me with joy. 
He drives bitterness from me and fills me with strength and consolation, end quote. See, the kind of joy we're talking about is not just rational. It's supra-rational. It's, beyond, it's non-rational, not irrational, non-rational. It comes from a different place than just the mind or comes from a different place than just an assessment of what's going on around us. This kind of joy endures. It endures death. It endures boredom. This kind of joy endures disappointment and offense. Joy endures illness. Joy endures heartbrokenness and loss. It's bigger than anything that happens to us. And it's a fruit of an encounter with the holy. The ancient philosophers used a term that I think is closer to the kind of joy referred to in the Bible. It's called eudaimonia. I know you're going to want to know that, so I told you it. Eudaimonia, it's a term that that Aristotle coined. And what it means is, it's more than just a feeling or a state state of mind. This isn't the result of saying, we're going to Disneyland today. Right, that's not it. (laughs) I mean, that's cool. And who wouldn't want to go to Disney? But what... (laughs) But what eudaimonia means is human flourishing. It, it, it means that somehow everything that you could be, you start to be. Everything that you've ever imagined to accomplish, you start to accomplish. Every place that you felt you could be uh, not stuck in, you stop being stuck there. You begin to flourish. Eudaimonia. The point is living a life in the flesh, which Paul talks about in this Galatians text, and, and, and it, apart from the influence of the Spirit, is a life that in Paul's words in that very text prevents you from doing what you want. If I had a chance, or if we had a chance for all of you to come up here and say, what would, what would you want? What, my guess is you would all be able to iterate something beyond where you are. That there's something... Born in us because God is creator and we are created. We have creative in us. And there's something in us that can imagine more. And yet we're stuck oftentimes. What happens is that all of our energies are wasted oftentimes on lower nature stuff. Where we're dancing with temptation or falling into sin or receiving forgiveness or working through the bruises left by guilt and shame. All a consummate waste of time distracting you and I from things that matter. And then here comes the spirit. Which somehow as he engages with us we start, we start we're like, you're like a beach ball in the water, right? You can push it under the water but if you let go of it, it's popping out, baby. That somehow when we are Filled with the spirit, we pop out of stuff we used to sink in. Three more points about joy and I'm done. Number one, joy brings contentment. And it keeps you out of dread. If you remember the old covenant text where it talked about people who would break covenant with God and and Moses is telling them or communicating what the Lord was saying. And he says, among those nations, if you break faith with God which our hearts are prone to wander. We all get that. Among the nations, you will find no repose, no resting place for the sole of your foot. There the Lord will give you an anxious mind, eyes weary with longing and despairing heart, and you will live in constant suspense, filled with dread, filled with dread both night and day, never sure of your life. In the morning, you'll, 
you'll say, oh, if it were only evening. In the evening, you say, oh, if it were only morning because of the terror that will fill your hearts and the sights that your eyes will see. He's talking about that sense that sometimes we get, oh, if only I got this done. If only this could happen. If only it were the weekend. If only it were spring break. If only, whatever you do. <laughs> that you, if only, if only. If, if you live in that kind of space, it is an exact expression of dread. And it means your joy meter is way low. Right? But there's a solution. You don't have to psych yourself up. You just have to move toward the ghost. Paul claims this in Philippians 4. I rejoice greatly in the Lord. What does he mean? I go back to the, I go back to the Holy Spirit. I go back to the spout where the glory comes out. For me, I don't know what that is for you. For my wife, Gail, she loves music in the air. I love silence in the books. <laughs> right? We have anti-ghost stories. <laughs> but whatever it is for you, sometimes I just love quiet and solitude and reflection and I can find myself in the presence of the other where there's something transcendent, where I am filled with with uh, mysterium, the sense of mystery, and there's a sense of, uh, of the Latin phrases, fascinans et tremendum. It means I'm fascinated and in love with this moment and yet a little freaked out by it. I'm bumped up against a God who is not sketchable. So, I mean, whatever that is for you, that, that presence, if you get there, you will change. I wish it was permanent, but it's more like coming out of a movie during a matinee and you got the squint all over you. And then after a while, the squint wears off. I mean, I wish that being in God's presence was a perma-squint, but it isn't. You have to have repeated moments, ongoing refresh. That's why I pray morning and night, and sometimes in the middle of the night, and it still doesn't always go well with my soul. Be warm, be filled, you're on your own. But he says, I rejoy, I rejoice, I rejoy, I up my joy greatly in the Lord that, that at last you'll renew your concern about me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you've had no opportunity to show up. But I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. But I've learned this secret that whether I'm in need, whether I have plenty, I've learned the secret of just being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed, which obviously I am, or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Watch. I can do everything through him. I can do everything through him. I can do everything because I spend time with him. Because he gives me strength. What is my strength? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Therefore, I rejoice in the Lord. Because I want to live a life of contentment, not dread. No matter what's going on. And the number two about joy is joy transcends time. The joy reference in scripture has a past, it has a present, and it has a future component to it. The joy over the past looks like thankfulness and the celebration of the gift of life. It won't let you live in shame. It won't let you live in regret. 
It won't let you live. And if, if only I were younger, I could. Right? You're breathing, you can. Now, it gets a little different as you get older. I'll give you that. I was talking to my spiritual. I meet with a guy, a spiritual director, they call them, and they help you try to discern what the Lord is saying in your life. And I was talking to this guy about six months ago, four months ago, and I was telling him, you know, about some of the things I'm doing, what I'm feeling. And he says, Ed, Ed, stop, stop. I said, yeah. He said, you're talking like you're an adult. Yeah. Like you have this whole arc of career ahead of you. Like you have another 50 years. He said, you know you don't have 50 years, right? Yeah. He says, you're not an adult. He says, you're an elder. A few superlatives ran through my mind. (laughs) None of which were thankful. But then he said, but you know what? When you're an elder, you get to do whatever you want. Now, years ago, I would have gone this, but notice I'm going, don't want to throw anything out. You know what I'm saying? Sorry. So the joy of the past over the past looks like thankfulness. It looks like the celebration of life. Joy in the present looks like savoring the now. It's like chewing slowly because it tastes so good. Right? It, it's, it's with a heart of thanks and it won't let you live in dread. And then joy of the future looks like the expectation of good. You have joy because you say, God's doing something. I, I love all Roberts, one of the statements he would say. Uh, he would say, uh, something good is going to happen to you. Man, I love that. Something good. Is going, now, you don't have to say it that way. That's orally. Something good is going to happen to you, man. So think about, what if you bought into that? Think about that a minute. Hey, something good is going to happen to you. How do we tend to live? I don't know, man. I don't know, man. Things seem odd. I don't know. You know, North Korea, man. Listen, if they throw the bomb and it falls on Tulsa, something good is going to happen to you. You may not stay here to see it. You may have to go there to see it. Something good. Tell somebody that. I know we don't usually do that, but you know, just poke somebody and say, something good is going to happen to you. You don't have to look at them. Something good is going to happen to me. Something good is going to happen to you. You got to look at your kids in the morning when they leave. Say, hey, something good is going to happen to you. How do you know that? That's a ghost story. I'll tell you about it later. (laughs) And then joy has a way that it looks into the future. It it looks like um, this sense of not being worried or fretful or overly anxious about your tomorrows because of that precise reason. Good is on its way. And then third thing. Joy is rooted, along with all the other fruit, is rooted in love. You know, that text, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This fruit is not just for you or for me as some sort of self-aggrandizement project or some kind of personal happiness project. If you notice, the list starts with love. And, And some believe that love is the fruit and that the rest of these fruits are just 
the result of that single fruit. In fact, earlier in the text, Paul says, be slaves of love. Because he said the whole law is summed up in love your neighbor. And then he goes into the fruit of love. On this particular read, joy, if, it, if, all, if the fruit really is just love and joy just emerges from love, that means that joy and peace and all the rest, that there are things that we enter into when we experience the love of God and the love of others. In other words, you see, remember one of the ways to describe joy is the expectation that something good is going to happen to you. Well, this means that when we encounter the spirit, one of the clear signs of the the fruit of love that's at work in us is we begin to anticipate and to work for the good of the other. So in other words, the fruit of the spirit isn't just an emotion. The fruit of the spirit is actually the energy to do virtuous acts. Where, where we start moving for the good of the other, where we refuse to enter into anything that would dismiss or diminish or misuse another person. Amen. Where we would never be prejudiced. We would never be sexist. We would never be judgmental. We would never refuse to come to the aid of our neighbor. Even if they came across the border illegally. Now, I am not trying to be political here, I promise you. And I do believe in border control. That's not where I'm going with this. But what I am saying is that we are an odd bunch, we Christian people. And we are living by the rules of another realm. Catherine Marshall captures this in a story she tells in one of her books. She's passed away now, this is an older book about this Lutheran pastor that she had met in Austria who had been a former Nazi stormtrooper who had been radically uh, changed by an encounter that she had with a Christian woman in, in Russia. Listen to it. Quote, In December 1941, the trooper was with the German armies invading Russia in the Crimea, Crimea rather, in the heavily wooded terrain. The battle began going against the Germans as they had to fall back The German found himself within the Russian lines, separated from his regiment. Alone, he made his way through the forest, fearful at any minute of being captured. Suddenly, he saw a thin cloud of smoke coming from a chimney of a hut. And creeping up warily, gun in hand, he knocked on the door. It was answered by a tiny elderly Russian woman. Shoving past her and searching the hut, he satisfied himself that the woman lived alone. Apparently, her menfolk were all fighting, perhaps had already been killed. To the German's surprise, the woman began to be kind to him, offering him food and drink. Neither spoke a word of each other's language. But in the end, the Russian woman hid the soldier, feeding him and caring for him for three days and nights. The German grew increasingly baffled. Certainly, no worse enemy than he, a Nazi, could have come to the door here in Russia where Germans murdered more civilians than the total number of Jews that were killed in all of Europe. The woods swarmed with Russian troops. Surely, she knew that if she were caught harboring a German, she would be shot. Out of his mounting desire to communicate, he managed through sign language and facial expressions to convey his question. Why have you risked your life to hide and befriend me? The old woman looked at him for a long moment in silence and then turned and pointed to the crucifix that was on her wall above her bed. Telling me of the incident, the Lutheran pastor added, after I escaped back through the German line, to the German lines, try as I would, I couldn't forget what happened. 
I hadn't known a love like that was possible. In the end, I was drawn irresistibly to the one who enabled that little Russian lady to prefer another to herself, even when the other was a cruel and deadly enemy. I wanted to know the power of the cross in my life too. That's why I am a Christian today, and that's why I serve as a pastor. End quote. Have your political reactions. Have your discussions. But at the end of the day, love all people. The fruit of God is love. The impulse is to move towards people, to move towards their pain, to move towards their heartache. That's when you bring joy and you bring peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and goodness and self-control into the world. You bring God into the world because you're focused on the other. I'm not sure we are as Christian as we think we are. What if Christianity is less about believing the right things and less about your personal impulse control and more about being a loving person that has fruit? So pursue the spirit. Find the spout where the glory comes out and here's what'll happen. Last text, Isaiah 55, 12. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will freak out into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Ellen's program comes into your life. 